All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, this morning we are continuing in the book of Jonah, and we are looking at our series, Jonah, the unlikely response of a God-sent missionary. This morning we are in Jonah chapter 2, and that's how we're going to go each week. Jonah 1, Jonah 2, 3, and 4. So just a four-week series through the book of Jonah. And so this, this morning we are in Jonah chapter 2. Now Jonah chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer from inside the belly of a fish. Um, and so we're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to understand a little bit more about what Jonah is, is thinking. And so let me, let me read that prayer to you, uh, then we'll pray, and we'll dive into the message this morning. Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you this morning thankful for this opportunity to gather as your church, uh, both physically and virtually, Lord, to open up your word and to learn from it, God. This morning, as we do that, we ask, God, that you would help us. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand what your text means and how it impacts our life and the life of our church. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the years, I have had the opportunity to climb, rock climb, uh, a number of places, both in the United States um, as well as down in Mexico. And one of the places that was my favorite place to go was in the United States. Um, it was Red River Gorge in Kentucky. Uh, one, and one of, the, one of the favorite things about that place is that the climbing that you do is just pretty much right off right off the road. Uh, you can drive your car up, park, walk 50 feet, and be right there on the rock climbing. There is no hiking necessary at all. Uh, you don't have to lug in a bunch of stuff, you know, a couple miles down the trail or anything like that. I mean, it is literally right there. It's almost like going to the climbing gym. And along with the convenience, the routes at Red River Gorge were amazing as well. They were, they were long. They had this, this slight overhang. They were, they were challenging. It was just a good time being there with friends. And I remember one time in particular, I was on this route, and, and most of the routes there were, were, were much, much longer or higher than the routes that I normally climb, especially at the climbing gym that I 
I went to, and I was, I was on this route, and, and I had made it all the way to the top. And when you get to the top, you clip into these anchors with your rope, and then they, you get lower down. And I'm up there, and I'm having trouble because this route is so much longer than I'm normally used to. My arms are pumped up, my grip is, is tired, and I'm having trouble clipping in to the top anchors. And I'm about, you know, 10, 15 feet above the anchor below me. And so if I fall, it's going to be quite a bit of a fall. And so I'm struggling, and I don't, I don't want to fall, but my grip is, is slipping, and eventually I couldn't hold on any longer. And I fall like 20, 25 feet. But luckily, my rope intervened and caught me so I didn't fall all the way down to the ground. And that's exactly what's supposed to happen when you're climbing, right? At least if you're climbing with, with a rope. Uh, your, your rope is supposed to intervene and your rope is supposed to, to stop your fall. In a similar way, God intervenes in our life and he stops the free fall that we are in. Not a free fall to the ground off the side of a, of a, of a mountain, but a free fall into the depths of hell. And how does God do that? How does God intervene in our life? Well, in today's text, we encounter Jonah's prayer. The prayer from the belly of the fish. And if you remember at the end of chapter 1, Jonah, after he was cast into the sea, this great fish came and swallowed him up just before he drowned, just before he died in that turbulent waters. And as we move along in the narrative of chapter 2, it provides us some insight into to what was Jonah thinking? I mean, you certainly be thinking something if you're in the belly of, of a fish, right? So, so what is Jonah thinking? How is this impacting Jonah? What is this doing to him? And that's what we encounter here through Jonah's prayer. We learn through Jonah's prayer that, that God intervenes in our life. And so first we see that, that God intervenes in our life by awakening us to our sin. In verse 3, we learn that God hurled Jonah into the deep. For you cast me into the deep. Jonah recognizes this. Into the heart of the seas, the flood surrounded me. All your waves, your billows, they passed over me. And I would imagine as Jonah was, was floating in the sea with these waves crashing all over him, as he is sinking down to the bottom, the reality of his sin begins, begins to set in. His sin, remember, was the reason that he was cast overboard. He was attempting to run from the Lord. He was rebelling against God. He thought that he knew what was best. He didn't want the Ninevites to experience salvation. He wanted them to suffer and so he's running from God and as Jonah is cast overboard he realizes that what he has done is is wrong he realizes that what he has done is is sinful and Jonah isn't an anomaly you know just like he did in in Jonah's life you know God intervenes in our life to awaken us to our sin We've talked about how God does this before, and especially last week, but let me, just, let me just remind you, you know, it might be through a person coming and, and talking to us. God might send a person in, into your life to point out your sin. And if you're that person, let me just say that, that when you do come and talk to somebody, we need to, we need to come in love, and we need to come with God's Word in hand, pointing them back to the text of Scripture. It might be the preached word. As you hear the word preached, you might be convicted of a particular sin in your life or, or something might be brought to light that you just didn't know was there. 
And likewise, as you are as you're reading through God's Word on your own, you might be convicted or made aware of sin in your life. There are, those are just a few of the ways in which God can and God will intervene in our lives to awaken us to our sin. And when God awakens us to our sin, we should not despair. Yes, our sin hinders our relationship with the Lord, but, but we should not despair. We should not feel hopeless. In the beginning of verse 4, we learn that, that Jonah feels as if he has been driven away from the sight of God. And the word Jonah uses here for driven, it, it carries the idea of being, of being forced out, of being forced away from God's sight. This is, how, this is how Jonah feels. He feels as if he's been cast out and forced away. It's kind of like when my dog comes into the kitchen and we're preparing a meal, right? I hate when he does that. And, and I drive him out. I'm like, get out of here. Get out of here. Get over there on your bed. Lay down or we put him outside. You know, it's similar, right? I mean, it's God's driving Jonah out of his presence. This is how Jonah feels at that time. And as Jonah's sinking down to his, his watery grave here, Jonah felt as if it, he was forced out of God's sight. But even though Jonah felt that way, Jonah did not despair. In the remainder of verse 4, he says this, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And those are remarkable words for somebody who's been cast out of the boat. Those are remarkable words for somebody who feels as if they have been forced out of God's sight. And the reason Jonah didn't despair, the reason that Jonah could, could still be, be hopeful, even though he, he probably should have felt hopeless, is because he knew that the Lord was a God of loyal love. And because God is a God of, of loyal love, we can turn back to God through repentance. And the same is true for us. While our, our sin hinders our relationship with the Lord, we can always turn back to Him because our God is a God of loyal love. You haven't messed up so big that, that God is going to drive you out of His presence forever. Right? We can repent. We can turn back. We can admit our failures. We can admit our rebellion. We can admit our sin. And we can turn back to the Lord and begin following Him because our God is a God of loyal love. And that's exactly what we should do when, when we discover sin in our life. That's exactly what we should do when, when God makes aware of this sin in our lives. We should not feel as if, man, we, we've messed up so big, we've done too much, God would never have me back. God is a God of loyal love. And if we repent, we turn back to Him, God will have us back. And God has us back. Because God is the one who is making this sin aware in our lives so that we will recognize it and we will turn back to Him. And when God awakens us to our sin, we should repent turning back to God. We should repent turning back to the Lord even though we feel as if we have been driven from His presence. We can and we should repent. We will feel that way because God wants what's best for us. You know, growing up, I was a rebellious kid at times, and I was always pushing the boundaries that were set for me. And I remember one time in particular, uh, my friends and I, we, had, we all had some trucks. I mean, they weren't really like 
you know, four by four trucks or anything like that, just kind of little Nissan single cabs and things like that. And, but one of my friends gets this idea like, man, we should go, we should go mud bogging. And I'm thinking, I don't think my, my truck's going to make it through the mud, but whatever. And, and so he's like, I know of a place where there's some good mud. It just, it just rained. And so we follow him out to this country road um, outside of Savannah. And we get there, and there's this chain up, and it says, no trespassing. Uh, but there was this, like, area over to the side where our trucks could fit through. And so we decide, man, whatever, we're going to go on through. And so we drive, like literally drive past the no trespassing sign and the chain, and we drive back there. And this was uh, uh, an old cemetery back there, but beyond the cemetery was this area where we could go mud bogging. And in the past, apparently in the recent past, some people had been back there and messing with the graves and desecrating things. And so this lady just happened to drive down this desolate country road at the same time that we're driving through. And so she calls the cops and it takes a while for the cops to get there. And we're like good and stuck. Now, I was smart and I thought, man, no way my truck is going to make this. But but my other two friends thought they could do it. And so I didn't I didn't drive in the mud. Uh, At least I did at least one thing smart. But my friends did and they get good and stuck. And just as they get good and stuck, the police roll up and they're like, what are you guys doing? Uh, And they arrest us. And then because my friends got their trucks good and stuck, we had to literally wait until the people came who would tow our trucks out of the mud. And the mud was so bad that two of those trucks had to come because the truck that was supposed to tow us out first got stuck. And the other truck had to come and tow him out, then tow all the other cars out. So it was crazy debacle. And I ended up having to go to this little kind of country police station. They called my dad and he came and picked me up. And my dad was not happy, if you would imagine. His son just got arrested for doing something stupid like trespassing and going mud bogging when, you know, I don't even have a mud bogging truck. Um, and, and my friends, you know, they got in a little bit of trouble, but, but their parents were like, whatever, you know, we'll go to the court date and all this stuff. And so they got in trouble for like a week and they got, they got to go out and, and have fun. Well, my dad was not having that. He said, you cannot go do anything until your court date comes. And he's all like, I think you might go to jail and all this stuff, you know. And so I'm like super scared. I'm going to jail and, and I can't do, do anything for like two months. You know, I'd have to go to school on Monday morning to hear about all the fun things that my friends did that weekend while I'm just like at home, no TV, nothing, you know. And uh, I end up going to what was not a court date. They, they said, well, this isn't really worth it. I had to go to down to the courthouse, though and pay like a $20 fine. And that was it. And my dad knew this was going to happen. He knew that's all I was going to have to pay was $20 and I'd be off. But, but while the courts weren't going to discipline me, he decided that he was going to discipline me because he didn't want me doing that again. And I'll tell you what, I never trespassed ever again after that. I learned, I learned my lesson. You see, I could have hated my dad through that time, but I didn't because I knew that he did it because he loved me. And he wanted what's best for me. And that's the same thing with God. You see, God awakens us to our sin, not to torment us, but because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And when our sin is is brought to light, we should not despair. 
and, and turn away from God. Instead, we should turn to God just as Jonah does. Our God is a God of loyal love. He is never going to forsake us. God wants what's best for us, which is why He points out our sin, which is why He disciplines us. The first way that God intervenes into our life then, as we see here, is that He awakens us to our sin and He does that because He loves us and He wants what's best for us. Second, we learn that God intervenes in our life when we pray. And we see this in, in this text. He knew the truth that God hears us when we pray and hearing us, God acts. And remembering this truth, Jonah went to the Lord in prayer. Verse 2, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried out and you heard my voice. And so Jonah likens his stay in the belly of a fish to, to being in, in the belly of Sheol. And Sheol is, is the place of the dead. And Jonah, believing he is as good as dead, he, he turns and he, and he prays to the Lord. And God heard Jonah's prayer and God answered him. And just as Jonah prayed, we must do the same. But sadly, most of us wait until, until things are just absolutely terrible before we pray. I mean, Jonah, Jonah sure did. I mean, he could have turned to the Lord before the storm got as bad as it did. He could have, have turned to the Lord before he was thrown off of the boat. He could have turned to the Lord before he was sinking to the bottom of the ocean. He could have turned to the Lord before all of that, but he, but he didn't. He waited until he was at the bottom of the ocean with weeds literally wrapped around his head, about to die in the belly of a fish before he finally turned to the Lord and prayed. Many of us, Though we read this and we look at it like, Jonah, what were you thinking? Like, why didn't you not turn to God way before this happened? We think that, but many of us are like Jonah. We often wait until the last minute possible, until we're at the bottom of the sea, we are drowning, we are in the, the belly of, of a fish, until we reach our breaking points and we finally turn to God and we say, God, I cannot, I cannot do this. But you know, things would be much, much easier if we recognized and we humbled ourselves way before we got down to the bottom and we turned to the Lord in prayer and we asked God to intervene and we asked God to help us. See, we're, we're slow to do that. We're slow to learn the lesson of, of Jonah here. We're slow because we believe that we can, we can handle things on our own. We're independent. We think we've got it. But that's simply not true, right? We, we need God. We need the Lord. We need Him to intervene in our lives because we are not strong enough and we aren't capable of doing it on our own. And that's okay. That's okay to, to admit that. That's okay to, to say that, right? Because we are the created and God is the creator. He is the one whom, whom we should depend on. He's the one whom we should turn to. He is our heavenly Father. Just as a, a, a child depends on their father, we depend on our heavenly Father. In the same way we do that. And prayer is our way of telling the Lord, hey, we need your intervention. We recognize that we are absolutely dependent on you and that we cannot do any of this on our own. Prayer is us humbling ourselves. 
and putting our trust in, in God and God alone. When we pray, God will and does hear our prayers and God will and does intervene in our lives. We see that in verses six and seven. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And if we go back to verse two, we see there as well that God intervenes in Jonah's life answering his prayer. Jonah says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. And hearing Jonah's prayer, God works. He saves Jonah from certain death and God will work in our lives as well. You see, every week when we gather together with one another, whether it be personally or whether it be in a, in a structured Bible study, we, we should share praises with one another ways in which God has been has been working in our in our lives and not only should we share those things but we but we can share those things and we are able to share those praises because God hears us when we humble ourselves before him and when we pray to him and God answers our prayers now to be sure God does not always answer our prayers in the way that we want God to answer our prayers uh, sometimes God answers them in the way that, that we pray for. Sometimes God doesn't answer them in the way that we pray for. But you know that God is hearing our prayers and God is working in our life. He is intervening in our life in the way that he sees fit in order to help us grow. You see, sometimes if God answers our prayers immediately in the exact way that we want him to act, answer those prayers, we may not have the opportunity to grow. Because sometimes we, and most oftentimes, we pray for those things that make us uncomfortable. We pray for those things that are difficult in our lives, and we want them removed immediately. God doesn't always work that way. And even if God doesn't work that way, and even if God doesn't answer our prayers in the way that, that, that we think that he should answer our prayers, we can still trust that God is good, and we can still trust that God hears us because our God is a God of loyal love. He is a God who cares deeply for us. And since God intervenes in our lives when we pray, we should be people that pray, and we should be people of praise. Praising God for hearing us and for answering us. Now, not only does God intervene in our lives to, to show us our sin and, and, to, and, and through prayer, but God also intervenes in our life to save us from death. And God, He does this in, in a number of different ways, right? We're working through Jonah 2, so let's look at the ways in which God does this in today's passage. First, God intervenes by showing us that we are either worshiping an idol or we are worshiping him. In verse 8 and 9, Jonah says, those who pay vain regard to idols, those who, excuse me, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, Jonah doesn't come up with this idea on his own that, that we are either worshiping an idol or we are worshiping God. Jonah came to this conclusion because God revealed this to Jonah that we are either worshiping him or we are worshiping an idol. And that's because we are naturally geared towards worship. Everybody worships something. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. Everybody worships something. And we are either worshiping God or we are worshiping an idol. 
Now, at first you might hear that and you think, well, I don't know if everybody worships something. There are people out there who say that they're atheists and there are people out there who say they're agnostic and there, there are people out there who don't even believe in God. Or you might hear that and you might say, well, I, I don't know. I mean, aren't idols those stone statues or wooden statues or things like that that, that people bow down before? I don't, I, don't, I don't do that. I'm not going towards some stone statue or, or something like that or wooden statue that's been erected. I'm not, I'm not bowing down and, and worshiping before them. And so you might disagree with that at first, but... But here's the thing, idols are not just stone and wooden statues that are, that are erected that people go and they bow down before. Those stone and wooden statues, they, they represent something, right? As you, as you work through the Bible and when we work through you know, the book of Revelation, we saw that there were a bunch of different temples in all of these different cities and those temples and those statues that were associated with those temples were directed towards something, whether it be sex or money or fertility or, or whatever it might be, right? It was directed towards something. And so those idols just stand in the place of something. And when we allow whatever that something is to come between us and God, then we are worshiping an idol. And we're not worshiping God. And so those can be a number of things. I mean, it could be our career, it could be our, our family, it could be a number of things. And it doesn't have to just be those things that we might say are bad things, right? It could be things that are, are good. And if you're wondering what your idol could be, you could ask yourself some of these questions. To what do I devote the bulk of my time? What makes me the most happy in life? Or what do I think makes me the most happy in life? What am I willing to sacrifice everything else for? What do I spend the bulk of my money on? Oftentimes our, our you know, credit card statements, our checkbooks, our, our banking account transaction list, they, they can reveal a number of things to us. It can reveal possibly what our idols might be. And answering these questions, we don't just write off those things that are good because even things that are good can be idols. We can turn almost anything into an idol. Now, thankfully, God intervenes in our life and shows us that we are either worshiping Him or we are worshiping an idol just like He did for Jonah. But God doesn't stop there. Next, God shows us worshiping idols leads us to death. And I believe Jonah's idol was the idol of, of freedom. Jonah wanted the freedom to be able to, to call the shots in his life. Jonah wanted the, the freedom to be able to set himself up as judge and determine who gets God's grace and who doesn't get God's grace. And this is why he's boarded this ship for Tarshish to, to go away from the Ninevites. So he doesn't have to, to, to go there and preach God's grace to them. And when Jonah boarded, boarded that ship, he was worshiping an idol instead of submitting to God and saying, Lord, let your will be done. He's saying, look, I want my will to be done here. But thankfully, God intervened in Jonah's life and he shows Jonah, look, idolatry leads to death. Jonah didn't learn that lesson in a fun way, right? I mean, he's cast into a raging sea. He's got weeds wrapped all around his head. He ends up in the belly of a fish. He almost dies, but, but through all of this, Jonah learns a valuable lesson. Idolatry leads to death. And we know Jonah learned this because from inside the fish, verse 8, 
He says, those who worship idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And at the end of verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's lesson is invaluable because it it teaches us that, that idols can never deliver on their promises. When I was in college, near the end of my college career, before I, before I got, you know, went into a professional career, I decided that I needed to get a credit card. Um, and so I, I got this credit card. And at first, I was really good about paying the credit card off every month. You see, I thought I needed a credit card so I could build up credit so that one day, maybe if I need to buy a car or if I need to buy a house, you know, I'd establish some sort of line of credit. And so I was, I was good at paying this credit card off every month. But little by little, I began to carry a balance on this credit card. I mean, it was just too easy to do, right? I mean, they didn't require you to pay the whole thing off every month. And so I'm like, well, you know, I can give them a little bit and I can, I can keep a little bit and do a little bit more. And eventually that, that debt on the credit card kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to where I couldn't pay it off every month or every two months or anything like that. I was just barely meeting the minimal interest payments that you have to pay, right? I mean, they'll let you keep as much debt on there as you want as long as you are meeting those minimum interest payments and they're getting their money. And that's what I ended up doing. Now, things didn't get too out of control for me. I, I, I happened to be in sales at the time. And as, as a salesman, you would get bonuses when you close some deals. And so as I would, as I would close deals, I would take that money instead of, you know, putting it in savings, I'd have to pay it to the credit card company. And so I just yo-yo back and forth between being in debt and being out of debt. And every time I'd get out of debt, I'd say, oh, I need to do better. But then I'd end up back in debt again. It was just this constant thing back and forth. That is until I met Jen. And at that time, Jen was much more financially responsible than me. She had credit cards but didn't carry any debt on, paid them off every month. And uh, when we got engaged, she said, I want you to pay off the debt on your credit cards before we get, get married. And so I had to buckle down. I had to, had to stop buying stuff, racking up debt on my credit card. And, and thankfully, during that period of time, the Lord, again, blessed me with some deals. Um, and so I got some bonuses, and I was able to put those bonuses towards the debt and pay everything off before we got married. And since then, we don't carry any debt on our credit cards, pay them off every month. Now, reflecting back on that time of debt, the reason that I was spending was because I thought that another experience, I thought that another, you know, possession was going to satisfy me. And if I just had this or if I just had that, things would be, would be great. That all I need is that one more, one more thing over there. But guess what? That, that one more thing, that, that one more experience, that one more night out, that one more dinner, it never satisfied me. And so the next week I did the same thing over and over and over. And that's why I ended up having so much debt. Even as I'd pay it off, I'd get more. See, idols cannot deliver on their promises. They cannot provide us with ultimate joy and satisfaction. They cannot save us. God wants us to understand that, that idols just leave us empty. They give the allure of, of being able to provide us with what we want. They give us the allure of providing us with salvation and satisfaction, but they can never ultimately satisfy us. And those who continue to follow after idols 
will not just experience physical death, but they will experience spiritual death. But God, He reveals this to us so that we might, we might know that. God is still not done. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't leave us just clinging to this idol about, about to die. No, no, God goes one step further and God rescues us from this dead. As Jonah is, as Jonah is seek, sinking down to the bottom of the sea, God appoints this fish to come and swallow Jonah up. Jonah miraculously, I mean, it's a miracle. Jonah miraculously lives in this fish for three days and three nights before he's ultimately spit out on dry land there. You see in verse 10. Jonah didn't attribute this work to himself. Jonah attributed all this to God. We know that because in verse 9 he says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah recognizes that God is the one who saves. We should recognize that as well because, because we can't save ourselves. Only God can save us. And the way that he saves us is by intervening in our lives, showing us our need for Jesus. God intervenes. If he didn't intervene, we wouldn't, we wouldn't think that we needed Jesus in our life. We wouldn't think that we, we needed a Savior. We'll continue to think that, that I can just go on life without having a Savior. I'm going I'm to find that one thing. I'm going to find that, that, that one thing it is that I can worship or I'm going to finally make it to this, this place that we have set up that's going to provide us with salvation. But thankfully, God comes and he shows us, look, idols lead to death. You need Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can save you. He is the only one who is the Savior of this world, and that is it. And the only way that we are saved, the only way that we are rescued from plummeting into the depths of hell is through God intervening in our lives. And when God intervenes and rescues us, our reaction to God's intervention should be the same as Jonah. We should worship the one who rescues us. That's what Jonah does, verse 9 again. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Recognizing God is the one who saves, Jonah worships God, which is what we should do as well. We should worship the Lord. And the great thing is you don't have to wait until Sunday morning until you come here to worship God, right? We can, we can worship God all throughout the week, and we should worship God all throughout the week. And the way that we do that is by submitting our lives to Him, by building our relationship with Him through reading His Word and, and praying, and, and then by telling other people about Him, by ministering to those in need, by obeying all of the things that God presents to us in His Word. In those ways, we are worshiping God because we're saying God is, is worthy. He is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy for us to follow. He is worthy for us to obey. He is worthy for us to tell other people about Him. And when we do that, we are worshiping the Lord. And we should worship God daily. You see, if we're going to be daily worshipers, we must then constantly set our mind on the things that are above. And one thing that we should set our mind on that is above, the, the, the main thing that we should set our mind on is, is the gospel. You see, the gospel, the good news, tells us that, that Jesus has come and Jesus has died for us who are sinners. See, we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve any of that. We deserve death. We deserve to be left in our idolatry. But Jesus comes and Jesus dies for those who are his enemies, those who are calling for his death. 
Jesus dies so that he might redeem us from sin, so that he might redeem us from God's wrath, so he might provide us with a reconciled relationship with the Father and eternal life, so that we might be freed from our idolatry. Jesus comes and he dies for us. And all of those who would repent, who would admit, hey, I can't do it on my own. Hey, I can't save myself. Hey, there is no other Savior but Jesus. And we turn and we begin to follow Jesus and we believe in Him as our Savior. We believe in Him as the the Lord of our life and we're following Him. Then we experience salvation. There's no work that we have to do. There's no payment that we have to make. Jesus has worked on our behalf. Jesus has paid everything for us. And when we think about that, I mean, how, how amazing is that? That Jesus died for us, that that Jesus is is willing to give his life for people who are his enemies so that he might redeem us from sin, from the depths of hell. Man, that that should drive us to want to worship and and to praise God, not just just with words and, and songs, but with our whole life as well. And so if we want to be people who are worshiping God on a daily basis, then we need to be people who are constantly preaching the gospel to ourselves, who are setting our mind on the things above, who are setting our mind on Christ and what He has done for us. See, it's the gospel that should should motivate obedience, not not a desire to pay God back, not legalism or anything like that. It is the gospel that should motivate our obedience. And we constantly preach that to ourselves. When we think about what God has done for us, how he has rescued us from idols and saved us in Jesus, we should be driven to worship not just on Sunday, but every day. See, we are hopeless unless God intervenes in our life. We are hopeless because we are dead in our sin, sin that we need to be awakened to, shown the result of, and rescued from by God. If God does not intervene in our lives, then we have no hope because we can't save ourselves. And so has God intervened in your life today? Do you recognize your sin? Do you realize the result of your sin is eternal death? Do you realize that God is the only one who can rescue us from death? If you realize those things, if you've been rescued by God, do you follow God on a daily basis? Do you worship Him on a daily basis with your life? If you're truly a child of God, if you are truly a disciple of Jesus, if you would call yourself a Christian, then then you should answer yes to those questions. And that's because true disciples recognize salvation is only possible because Jesus has intervened in our lives. And we recognize that. We worship Him. And so today, if you would call yourself a true disciple of Jesus, then, then you can respond to this message by recognizing that God is the one who has saved you and by worshiping Him. And if you're not a believer here, if you would admit, I'm not a Christian, today, today you can respond to this message by trusting in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, by forsaking your idols and by recognizing that Jesus is the one who is our Savior alone. And in a moment, we're going to We're going to sing after I pray, and this can be an opportunity for us to respond in those ways, to praise God for the salvation that He provides us, or to turn to Jesus 
as our Lord and as our Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you. We thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together as, as your people, Lord. We thank you for the word that you give us, the hope that you provide us in Jesus. We ask, God, that we would we would be people who worship you daily, who forsake their idols, who recognize that Jesus is our Savior alone. And Lord, if there is someone here or watching that hasn't yet turned to Jesus, Lord, we pray that you might intervene in their lives so that they would. They would recognize their sin, that idols, they don't provide us with what we need. Jesus does. Might they turn to him today, Lord. In all this we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.